Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we're here for yet another episode, and I'm, I'm actually joined by a new friend of mine, Lindsay Rizal. Thank you, Lindsay, so much for making time for the Boca Podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. And uh, we were chatting about this before we started recording, but you're a fellow podcaster as well. And you know what? Let's just start by, will you share the, <laughs> the, the podcast and what that project's about? Yeah. So I have a podcast. Um, it's actually me. And then there's a wedding officiant on there as well. And it's called Your I Do Crew. And we talk to people that are getting engaged and we talk to the vendors that can help them with their day and they give different tips and tricks. And we have like different horror stories that users submit into and how you can, can make those things not happen on your wedding day. So <laughs> Which would always be good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a little bit about that. Yeah, we're we're fairly new. We've been doing it for about a year. That's awesome. Well, I, what mm-hmm. we'll do is link to the podcast in the show notes. Well, thank and you. For those listening in, the show notes can be found at boka b o k e h podcast dot com. And and I know I've been saying this quite a bit lately, but do take advantage of those show notes if you're listening to the podcast. Haley, who heads up our digital marketing and and takes care of production of the podcast themselves, um, she's putting together quite the resource in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. So if you're not taking advantage, make sure you do the various links, websites, books, et cetera, that we put together during the show or that we mentioned during the show, you'll find it the show notes there at bocapodcast.com. So we'll make sure to link to the podcast as well. But Lindsay, we normally start off the podcast with something called the technique for time. So much of what we talk about is saving time, working efficiently. So we actually have a life beyond business. And I'm curious, <laughs> what is something that you do on a daily or weekly basis that helps you save a bit of time, create some space for yourself so that you can have a life? Uh, yes, yes. I, I need a life. I have a, a nine month old and a two and a half year old. So wow. I definitely, <laughs> I need a little bit of space in my life. So yeah. the biggest, the best thing that I did for my business was getting my amazing CRM Dubsado. And I use it for invoicing contracts. And then I have like an automatic workflow. And it's so great because part of my workflow is just randomly throughout my time with a couple I send them emails and it's just like, hey, just checking in to see how everything's going. And I get the best response rate on those emails. People are like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for checking in. And it's like I might be on a walk with my kids, you know, but it just sends it right out. So it's been magical. I I love it so much. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit on the podcast as of late, this notion of proactive communication. And it's funny how even just the simplest effort at communication proactively can make such a difference in the experience that we're creating for our clients. Photography is only really at the end of the day, kind of a small portion of that, that total experience that we're giving the client proactive effort at communication is such a big part of giving them a positive experience. And and honestly, what can probably set us apart from other really just other, any other company that they're interacting with. So this is good. I've got Dubsado's site. I just quickly pulled it up on my phone mm-hmm. and they they sum up what they're doing by saying Dubsado is the best tool for the productive business owner. We build software that lets you take back your time, money and attention and reinvest it into your business, family time or whatever else you're hoping to do in life. 
Um, what made you choose Dubsado specifically versus any other of the the number of CRMs out there? Oh yeah, I I looked at a few and I, I tried out a few, and Dubsado was really nice because they they import things for you. Like there were just like some of my templates for my emails. I didn't even have to like retype them up and reformat them and make them look super pretty. They do that for you. Wow, and they've like exploded in the past. I don't know how long I've had them now, probably almost two years and they've just exploded. Their customer service though is top notch. So that's been a huge part of it is just their team is great. And any question I have, they answer it like in 10 minutes sometimes. I mean, it's insane. Wow. Yeah. Well, again, that notion of proactive communication and just being available, it's, it's certainly an important element of creating a positive experience. So as I was saying earlier, we'll link to Dub Sato in the show notes for those of you that are curious and uh, you can check that out. Speaking of that free time, though, how do you like to spend that free time that you create yourself for, or create for yourself, rather? Yeah, I I love to go on walks with my kids when when it's nice out here in Ohio. So whenever we we have some nicer days, I love to do that. But I'll I usually will just walk with my kids like midday a couple times a week just to like clear my head or you yeah. know listen to a podcast while I'm walking, and that's great. Um, and then I also, I work out like three to four times a week in the morning and it just kind of kickstarts my day too. So that's, that's a huge part of my, my routine as well. Are you like an early, early morning workout girl or do you wait until you've had some coffee and you've woken up a little bit? I, I usually am an early, early person. I'd rather get started early and get my workout in. And then if it's really, really nice, I can come home and my kids are still asleep and I can get in a shower and I can do everything and kind of get around before they wake up. So yeah. that's definitely like ideal when that happens. Yeah, that that is there is something about starting early. I know everybody says that there's uh, there are different, um, not even personality types, but tendencies, right? Some are kind of the early morning types, others are the night owls, but there is something unique, I think, about being able to wake up in the morning, particularly if you're going to wake up really early and getting a head start in the day. And then, you know, if we're managing our businesses efficiently, and, and I'm speaking for myself here too, we can have most of the important things that we need to get done in a business day if we're starting early by 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then everything else can kind of be gravy, if you will. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I think that that is it really it's a talking point and, and probably a multiple podcast episodes in and of itself. <laughs> we talk about schedules from time to time, but I think it's important to note that if we're running our businesses efficiently, uh, that we can we can get most of what we need to done get done very, very quickly and within maybe a half a day and uh, have a lot of time left over. So that's good. You mentioned the walks, too, and listening to podcasts. I love simultaneously going for a walk and maybe listening to a podcast or an audio book. There's something about getting the exercise, maybe the blood flowing and simultaneously taking something in that's mentally stimulating. That is a, is a great experience and it can be relaxing as well. And I think that's a great suggestion for all of us, especially as much time as we spend behind the computer. Good to just get up, go take a walk and maybe get a little mental stimulation at the same time. So that's, that's really, really great as well. Tell us something kind of random that most people might not know about you from going to your website or just meeting you briefly in person. Oh man. So, I, well, if they'll know for sure that I'm, I'm obsessed with Harry Potter. So I, I put that in all of my stuff, but that's, that's like all over my social media. Really? Website, so. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I book a lot of couples that are like, Hey, we booked you because we saw that you liked Harry Potter too. And, and I'm like, that's amazing. So, but I'm kind of slowly secretly becoming a minimalist, especially with, um, with my two kids now, I'm kind of learning when I first had, when I had my daughter, I learned how much stuff you have. Yeah. But now that I have 
my daughter and my son, I'm really learning. I have like the infant stuff and I have the toddler stuff. Mm. So I'm just kind of slowly trying to um, become a minimalist, just just like in my personal life, but also in my business too. So I'm trying to kind of um, streamline my gear and just things at home. And I don't know, it's nice to just have that headspace for everything where it's like, everything's where it needs to be. I don't have a ton of stuff everywhere. So my husband's going to hear this and he's going to catch on to me. But yeah, <laughs> I've been taking a lot of stuff to Goodwill. So I think that's great. You know, there is and, and I'm, I'm self-proclaimed minimalist as well. It's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was just having a conversation with somebody about like what we would grab if uh, if something happened, like if we were to have to quickly leave the house, maybe some type, you know, a fire or otherwise. And of course, my heart goes out to those people in California right now that are dealing yes. with this very thing. But like, if you were to have to run from your house and you had five minutes to grab what was most important to you, to your life, what would you grab? And and it was interesting to realize that there was actually very, very little that I'd actually need to pick up. And, you know, we talk about the significance on the podcast of of physical print products or albums or otherwise when it comes to the professional photography industry. And and I would certainly, uh, I, I don't, I'm not backing away from that, but the reality mm-hmm. is at the end of the day, the fact that so much of what we do now is digital means that if, if I grab my laptop and an external hard drive, I pretty much have what is important to me. I have the pictures of my kids and the videos from our various experiences and I've got what I need for work, and I could pick up a you know my laptop, as I mentioned, the external hard drive, and and maybe a backpack with my my podcasting and camera gear, and I pretty much have what I need. And there's there's something about that that's very very freeing, that our existence doesn't revolve around stuff and things, and that we have easy access to the, the to the most important things in life very, very quickly that I think is, is really appealing. It's freeing, minimizes stress. And of course, it ultimately minimizes the amount of time that we have to invest in just cleaning up even um, yes. on a day-to-day <laughs> basis in our house. So I, I, I love that. What, what turned you on to that idea to begin with? I always say I'm like a reverse hoarder. So every time that you know I see things that I can get rid of, it's like, yeah, yeah, like, let me do it. Let me do it. So it's just kind of, it's become more popular. I feel like you hear more people talk about it. So yeah, it really was when when the kids were born and we have a smaller house too. So that helps a lot too. Or it's just, I don't, yeah, I don't want a lot of things to clean up. I don't want a lot of stuff. I'd rather them, you know, have have things that they love and not have a ton of other toys and, and different things around. So they're definitely still getting their childhood. It's just, um, it's not a lot of stuff. And, and that was that was a huge part of it. Well, and especially when it comes to kids, and I have a 16 and a 13-year-old, and of course, mm-hmm. their existence uh, is, is a little bit different being a bit older <laughs> than, than your kids at this point. But there's something, too, about creating a life for them that revolves around experiences versus a bunch of stuff that just naturally encourages this idea of minimalism, both for yourself, but then also for them as kids. And I think that's an important principle to, to teach them, even at a younger age. I think it's a really great thing. Yeah, we've we've done things too, like for birthdays and Christmases, we've kind of started turning on like my parents and my husband's parents to like buy us a zoo membership, yes. you know, take take them someplace. And that was kind of hard for them to understand at first. Mm. But now that my daughter's two and a half, they've done it a couple years now yeah. where 
I feel like, you know, we're, we're not having to take home as much stuff. It is, it is more memberships and different things. And then we all can experience together. So it's, it's been great. Yeah. Which is perfect. That's really wonderful. Switching gears. Tell us what maybe one of the most impactful books that you've read or maybe listened to as of late is, whether it's on a personal level or a business level, what's a favorite book? Yeah. So I tend to read more, I don't know, I guess personal like growth books for myself, just because throughout the day, I'm kind of I'm listening to podcasts about business. And, you know, I'm working on my business. So that's kind of a break for me if my my kids both take a nap at the same time, which is wonderful. So at that time, I usually will pick up a book. And I'll read even if it's just for a little bit, even if it's just a couple pages, but I I get to read for a little bit. And I love that so much because I'm, I'm a big reader and it's been so difficult with both of them now. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a book I'm reading right now. I'm almost finished with it. And, and it has been great. Like it's definitely a keeper. It's one of them where I'm going to pick it up and reference it. And I'm starting to highlight different pages, but, um, it's actually, it's called living with intent and it is kind of like how to slow down and reflect. And yeah, it's a great read. It's by, um, her name's Malika Chopra. It's Deepak Chopra's daughter. Interesting. Okay. I saw her speak over the summer at an event I was at and she's wonderful. So it's, it's just been a really good book for me to read right now. It kind of came at the right time for me with everything going on. Yeah. You know, and this is a good reminder for me too. And, and it's certainly a theme on the podcast, but this idea of intentionality, I mean, while it seems kind of cliche because we heard, we hear the word quite a bit these days. Um, it yes. is, it's really, truly an important idea, concept to be applying to our lives as business owners because it is easy to get lost in the, the kind of craziness. I mean, Photographer's Edit right now is, is growing quite significantly and it's exciting for us and we're making plans for 2019 and um, it's easy to get caught up in that and not just kind of slow down, take a deep breath, certainly be present with my kids, but, but even just learn to be in the quiet you know, mm-hmm. my kids are at school during the day. I can I can be at my place and just be in the quiet and sit and and reflect and even meditate, which I truly enjoy. Uh, it's really really important to take the time to do this. We'll make sure to link to that book in the show notes as well, though. It sounds it sounds quite good. Are you listening to it on audio or are you reading the actual physical book? I I always have to read the physical books because I dog ear them and I highlight them, and nice. it just helps me. It just helps me process everything when yeah. I, I want to do audiobooks so bad, but it's just not the same for me. So I have books laying all over my house. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. That's really great. Yeah. And the significance of taking notes and kind of engaging with that physical product, I, I can totally understand how that's a different experience. Well, again, we'll link to that that book in the show notes. If anybody listening is curious, you can check that out. Let's let's talk about your photography business. And by the way, for those listening in, make sure to check out Lindsay's work and website if you go to luckybirdphoto.com, just like it sounds. Same thing on Instagram, Lucky Bird Photo. Um, how did you get started in photography to begin with? And how long have you been in business at this point? Yeah, so I, I started actually in high school. Um, my grandpa passed away and I inherited all of his camera gear. So oh, he had wow. a lot of really old film. He had a lot of stuff. He was like an amateur photographer, but he had amazing lenses and everything. And was it 35 um, millimeter medium format? Yeah. Gear yeah. It was 35 millimeter. So, okay. so I started out that way and I, I still use this camera strap, which is really great. That's I, cool. It's from Mexico. It's like 50 or 60 years old now. So I still use his strap. And so that kind of got me turned on to photography. I was always involved in art. I really loved painting and drawing and photography. And um, so I started photographing my friend's senior photos. 
And I did that on my film camera that I had from him. And then I also, I got like my first digital camera um, back in 2007. So yeah, I started out with a Nikon D80, which I still have. I can't get rid of it. It's too (laughs) too tiny and cute and, and I just can't do it. And then right from there, I went to college and I got a degree in fine arts with a focus in photography. So um, the college that I went to, they start you out in film and you learn from the ground up and then you kind of graduate to digital and, um, you know, Photoshop and everything. And so I did all of that. And then I'm curious if if, if you don't mind me interrupting, what, what was was there any conversation or focus or classes on business or did most of your existence during college center around the actual technique of photography? It was all technique, which I was really surprised by. There there weren't any classes on lighting. There weren't any classes on business. There weren't any classes on different things. It was all hmm. the technical side. It was all a lot of, um, you know, you'd have to, one week you'd have to go out and you'd have to photograph random strangers. And, you know, it was a lot of like that, or you'd have like a very technical way that you'd have to shoot and you'd have to shoot that entire way the entire time. So, um it really pushed you, but I really loved it. I loved being in class. You got so many critiques and you learned about composition and lighting and everything. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. Wow. That's interesting. You know, I, I know that there are probably a smaller percentage of active professional photographers these days who are starting mm-hmm. off with a photography degree, but I, I bet it does bring a certain perspective that to your photographic work and even to maybe running your photography business that's a, a little bit different. And that's cool that you can actually walk away from it saying that it was a good experience. How did that then translate to running a business? Did you start a business right out of college or what did that look like? I didn't. So I wanted to I wanted to kind of go someplace before I opened my own business. But I always I've known really since I really got into photography, I was like, I, I want to have my own business. I want to run my own business. So I found a studio that I worked at. I was the office manager there. And then I was also a second shooter for weddings. And so I worked at that studio for two and a half years. And then um, in 2014 is when I um, launched Lucky Bird and I went full time in 2015. So it moved really fast from there. And what would you say would be the, the like the biggest pieces of information maybe that you took away from being a second shooter with a different studio? What was the, um, the, the learning experience like? What were you able to take from that into your business? I think because the studio was so established, he, he had systems in place. He had ways that he did things. So ah. it was nice for me because I didn't kind of go into my business not knowing what to do. Um, from him, I learned a lot of what to do, what, not, you know, what I didn't want to do as far as couples went. Cause he kind of took every couple and I wanted to be more specific with the people that I chose and kind of choose people that I felt were the best fit to work with me. And, and he did a lot of like studio, studio lighting, and I don't have a studio. I'm all on location. So, um, so we had a lot of differences with that, but it just, it really helped me learn what I liked and what I didn't like off the bat instead of kind of starting my company and then figuring it out as I went along. Wow. That's interesting. You know, I mean, I didn't have that, that experience personally getting to shoot for another studio before starting my company. It was just one of those like jump and build your wings on the way down kind of situations. But, um, that's, I think that would be a, a really intelligent thing for new photographers to do if they have the opportunity, even if it's not a paid position to at least 
surround themselves with other business owners, other studios, look for opportunities to second shoot for them and understand how they're running their business because it will help um, kind of minimize the learning curve and maybe shor- shorten the uh, the lifespan of that that initial pain, which is starting a business and, and not knowing yeah. exactly how to go about it. But um, that's really good. So you, you started your your business then in 2014, you said? Yes, so that's about, correct. So about four years ago. And how yeah. did you or what did you decide to create as your brand position? Because as we've talked about so many times in the podcast before, there's so many so-called professional photographers out there. And these days, actually setting yourself apart from those photographers can be a little bit complicated. So what is your photography business's brand position? And, and how did you go about creating that? Yeah. So I, a a big part of my brand is I always tell people I want to help them create a stress-free day and I want it to be a fun day for my couples. So I post a lot on social media of people laughing and having fun and being silly and like popping champagne and throwing glitter and just crazy things. So I also, I throw a lot of Harry Potter into my brand too. I know I talked about it earlier, but I, I post a lot of Harry Potter stuff for my captions are Harry Potter related. And then like random references from the office. So it's just, it's me, it's authentic, it's just weird. But yeah, I, I like to really kind of emphasize the stress-free and fun part of the day and then the timeline planning. Those are like the two things that I really like to emphasize. Which is actually um, something that we're going to get into today, kind of for our primary mm-hmm. focus for this podcast episode today is specifically talking about how to create a really great timeline for your clients and and how that plays such an important role in creating a good experience for your clients. And we're going to get to that here in just a little bit, but let's, let's kind of switch gears yet again. I'm curious <laughs> in this process, I mean, you've been in business now officially for about four years or so. What's the toughest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far? That's a good one. I, you know, when I first started, I was really focused on like, I have to get a website built. I have to do all this different stuff. And I wish that I had focused a little bit more on the relationship side of it with other vendors and with venues. And um, it took me a while to kind of build up the confidence to reach out to those people. And I wish I had sooner because it really just, I took the time to get to know them. And I feel like it's really nice to have a great group of people that you can recommend to couples. And I'm to the point now where I have multiple people kind of in every category. So if I know what a couple is going to like, I can say, oh, this is the perfect DJ for you. This is the perfect florist for you. And it just, it took me so long to, to do that. And I don't know why. Well, you know, and the reality is relationships play at this point, probably one of the most important roles. And, and I guess this has been the case for some time. It's interesting how it continues to be the case now, even despite the digital world that we live in, social media and so forth. But the relationships, the connections play such an important role in continuing to develop our business, get new clients, and of course, ultimately build our business, grow our business. And uh, so I love that you highlight that the important reality, which is that relationships, we can't get away from them. And while we might be able to kind of be that recluse, that that introverted photographer, artist type that uh, so many photographers um, kind of identify as, the reality is we have to make the effort to, to establish those relationships. And, and so much of our, our new business can come from those relationships. So I, I love that you highlight that and I appreciate you sharing that experience with us. Uh, you mentioned Nikon earlier. Yes. What is a favorite piece of gear in your camera bag these days? Is it a camera body or a lens or, or what might it be? 
I I shoot all Nikon and yeah, I still do. And I, I love my, I have a 35 millimeter 1.4 for portraits that mm. I use. And I'm just, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. It's, it's my favorite and I can get all up in their faces and get super close. And it usually makes people laugh just by doing that, by being that close to them. And I don't know. I, I love it, but, um, I might switch to Fuji. I I've talked about switching to Fuji too and, and possibly going mirrorless. Yeah. So that might be my next jump. I'm, I'm, I rented the, um, the TX three and I just, I loved it. So I'm, I'm thinking I might jump off of the Nikon train a little bit. I don't know. Oh yeah. The, the X-T3. I, I actually played with yeah. the X-T2 recently and I've mentioned in the podcast, I had, it was really kind of mind blowing to me. I mean, the idea of a mirrorless camera isn't a new concept to me, but um, the X-T3 or X-T2 specifically, the form factor was just wonderful because you had the weight of this camera that that enables you to keep it steady, and yet the form factor is so small that you could just wield it around all day long with without issue. You could carry you know all your gear in a really small bag. Again, harkening back to this idea of minimalism, yeah. which I really really love. I, that that's interesting. Maybe we'll have to have you back in the podcast to review the the new system if you move that. <sighs> yeah, that way. I. I liked how minimalist I could be with it. Yeah. And then I also, it made me kind of feel like I was going back to my film roots with how the camera was designed yes. and everything. And I think that's kind of something that I didn't really realize I was missing until I started playing around with it. And I was like, oh, like, I love this camera. Like, I love it. So Yeah, the simplicity yeah, we'll of those see. controls, not, not having to have 50 different buttons on the outside of the camera that you're trying to keep up with. And, you know, what do I do with this and what do I do with that? Yes, those those film style, film camera style controls, um, I love that as well. That's really that's really cool. But I'm curious about that 35 millimeter lens. And you you talked about getting really close to the client. Do you ever find that that actually uh, inhibits your ability to be able to get those intimate moments, and maybe you'd want to step back and away from the client in order to to capture? No, I I'll do a lot of intimate posing and different things, but then I usually will crack a joke or do something and get those real laughs and it'll kind of go back to that fun laughing, you know, kind of more of my brand. So I just, I do different things like that to get them having fun. And and I love those real reactions that I get and I can be still pretty close up and get those different things. So. Okay. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I guess that is it that, especially as you described earlier, that brand, your brand being so centered around the notion of a fun experience um, that 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 lens actually lends itself to supporting mm-hmm. that idea. Would you would you say that most of the clients that come to you? I mean, you've established enough of a relationship by the time that you photograph them that the notion of you being kind of up close and personal is is not as uncomfortable to them. Yeah, I'll I'll start things off pretty basic with them. So I'll do some more traditional, simple poses, and then I'll start kind of just being silly and weird and getting closer <laughs> and closer and closer and doing different stuff. So by the end, they're totally used to me being there. Oh, that's great. That's really, really great. Well, we were talking about the idea of a client experience and more specifically communication, the significance of communication. And part of what is innate to communication, especially when it comes to photographing a wedding and working with clients for their wedding day, is the timeline. What does that yes. actual wedding day look like? How does it break down? And of course, ultimately, how does that then translate to the quality of the photographs? Because it's very easy for a potential client to come to our website. They're scanning through the images. They're like, oh my goodness, this is stunning. I, I want these pictures but then not realize the significance of the timeline and how that affects your ability as the photographer to actually capture those images. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, first of all, how do you manage the expectation 
of a potential client or maybe a client after you've booked them when it comes to this wedding day timeline? How do you communicate the significance of that timeline and the role that it plays in the quality of the final photographs? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so I I set expectations for for the timeline, even in like my marketing materials. And then even when I do the initial phone consultation that I have with my clients, yeah, like my website, the knot, you know, any bridal show cards, they, they all mention that I'm there from like the booking to the engagement outfits to timelines. So I kind of, I plant that seed as early as possible. So they know that they can expect that from me at the consult. What I do is I'll ask them like the ceremony and the reception times and then I'll also ask them, like my major points to ask them um, are if they're going to do a first look or if they're going to have a receiving line. Because those are usually the two things that if I have to figure it out, if there's a tight timeline, if we've got a lot of time, it's nice to have that information so that I can help kind of plug those in where they make sense and make sure that the clients have enough time to do everything. So if the client has like a ceremony and a reception and they're at the same venue and they're kind of one thing after another, then what I'll typically do is recommend a first look. Or if they're opposed to that, then I'll suggest like wedding party photos separate beforehand. So like if it's, if it's a, you know, if it's a bride and a groom, then I'll say, you know, if you have any bridesmaids or, you know, whoever we can do them beforehand and then we can do the guys beforehand and they still don't see each other, but you know, we can get some of those photos out of the way. So we just have more of the full wedding party the two of them. And, um, I'll usually say, maybe you should skip a receiving line and you can greet guests later. And then that way we've got enough time to kind of get everything in. So we don't have five minutes for portraits or something crazy. Yeah. Well, a lot of it, again, the client kind of has a big picture view of what the images might look like. And then a general idea of what their wedding day might look like, but without Mm -hmm. the, the experience that comes from you, the wedding photographer, or maybe a, a wedding coordinator, or wedding planner, they're, they probably don't realize the significance of the, the timeline as it relates to, you know, I mean, we're talking like small increments, right? 10, 15, 20, 30 minute increments through the day and how that ultimately is going to either create wonderful space for the photographs that they're seeing on your website or not. And yeah. so it takes a lot of communication. I love that you start with even just your marketing materials beginning to create the expectation uh, or maybe more specifically the significance of the timeline and how that relates to the photography. Do you, what does that look like on the marketing material itself? Because I'm not sure that I've heard of a photographer specifically referencing that idea of a timeline in their marketing material. Yeah, kind of what I, what I touched on a little bit, but I, I just say things to them. I can't think of exactly what my cards say, but something along the lines of, of I, hel- I help them pick out engagement outfits and I, you know, help them all the time with, you know, email support and timelines and and then I'm there for them and that I specialize in weddings. So that's what I do. So I have a real focus on my couples. And so I, I put a lot of that different stuff into my marketing so they know that I'm going to tell, you know, I'm going to help them figure out what to wear and I'm not just going to show up and, you know, what, what's going on today? And, you know, what are, what are you wearing and what are you doing? So, um, so I like to be more hands-on. So I like to just share that with my couples. And, and, and it is important to be specific. So speaking of that specificity, I know you started to touch on this a second ago, but will you mm-hmm. kind of delve into in a little bit more detail, the kinds of questions that you are asking the bride and groom? And is this something that, for example, when I, when I was shooting weddings, I had a, it was roughly a four page or so questionnaire that I went through Mm -hmm. with our clients 
to cover the details of the day. Certainly timeline was part of that, but really the details in general, whether it's the people that are going to be there, the various activities that might be involved in the reception, et cetera. Do you have something like that that you're going through with the client in person? Or are you sending that to them ahead of time? And then what are those actual questions that help you understand what the timeline looks like? Yeah. So when I do the phone console, I ask him some of those, you know, ceremony reception, first look receiving line. Um, those are like the major points. And then I'll, I'll even kind of plant a seed and say like, oh, do you want sunset photos? Do you want nighttime photos? You know, are you doing a sparkler exit? So I'll kind of get those ideas in mind for them too. But one of the great things about Dubsado is I'll send out like an automated um, email and it'll have a questionnaire in it. So I send that out about four months before the wedding and it'll ask them what their priorities are for the day. So if they want sunset photos, if they want photos of the reception space before guests get there, those kind of different things. So then that way I can build off of that. And then when I have the ceremony and the reception times, I can kind of plug everything in and just create that ideal timeline for them. And how much of the time would you say that you end up having to change their expected timeline that they may come to you expecting, Hey, you know what, this is the day's going to look like this. And when you see that you're like, you know, in order to get the pictures that you're also expecting, you're going to need to switch things around. I mean, the, the first look was always a big deal for, for us. Um, certainly much of the time that I was photographing weddings because if there wasn't a first look, the reality that we realized was that most of the time we're, we may have 10 or 15 minutes to capture really good portraits of the bride and groom and and you may have to deal with the wedding coordinator coming and rushing us and saying, hey, you got to get to the reception. Um, mm-hmm. How much of the time do you have to to change that timeline around for them? And are they willing and open to your suggestions? Yeah, for for the most part, they're willing and open to those suggestions. And I think it's just because when I talk to them at the initial consult, I'll tell them, you know, it's it's nice to have 90 minutes for, you know, your family formals, your wedding party and portraits of the two of you. And I'll tell them, you know, we can split those up. You know, if we do the first look before we do sunset photos at the end, like I'll explain to them about how long things take roughly. Um, I'll ask them what their priorities are. And then, so then that way, when I get that questionnaire and things are more finalized, I don't typically have to to do a whole ton to it. It's just more, you know, they tell me their priorities and then I kind of get that master plan in place for everything. And what percentage of your clients at this point are doing a first look? And, and is that largely because of your recommendation or are they just doing it innately? What, what, what does that percentage look like? It's probably about half. Okay. Um, it's, it's been about that. It's been that way for a while. But, um, yeah, so about half of them do a first look. I'll always tell them they don't have to. I don't force them to do it. And, you know, it's it's obviously nice. I always say the, the more that they can get done beforehand, I feel like the less stress that they have after the ceremony. Because after the ceremony, I just feel like people are, like, rushed. You know, they're like, oh, our guests are waiting. They're starving. They're bored. You know, they're not going to have anything to do. So especially when I have those venues where, you know, they're – it's the same spot. They're doing the ceremony and then the reception one after the other. That's usually a really good time for me to, to tell them, Hey, you know, if you do a first look, my ideal timeline is if they do a first look, the wedding party photos, and then even if they can do a lot of the family photos before the ceremony, and then that way they can just enjoy cocktail hour and they can just go and have fun and like be present on their wedding day. Because I feel like so many people get caught up in like, we have to do this and this and this and this. And it just adds to that extra stress for the day. So that's a really good timeline. That's a really good way that I like to structure things for myself personally 
just because I feel like I don't have any couples that I've ever heard say things to me like, oh, I regret that we did a first look. Everybody's super happy that they got things done and out of the way. So if it makes sense, I absolutely love to do it. And and I think it makes a, a ton of sense. You know, not only will they likely be rushed if they push even some of those portraits till after the ceremony. But at that point in the day, I mean, you think of at least the bride anyway, has probably been going for a good six to eight hours, maybe even yeah. more between the prep and, and all the activities, maybe a brunch. And so they're tired. They may not even necessarily look their best. And it would I don't think it would be too difficult to sell a bride on, hey, you're going to look your best if you go ahead and do your portraits before the ceremony. Um, because you're not going to be tired, you're not going to be drained. And, and that tendency to rush is not only coming, of course, from potentially the family members or friends or the wedding coordinator, but even from their tendency to just kind of be done with the, the so-called work of the day and get on to the party. And uh, really clearly communicating these things to the bride and groom, I think is so, so important. Do you, when you're coming, when you're creating this this timeline or helping the bride and groom create a timeline, if there's a wedding coordinator or planner involved, do you tend to collaborate with them then on that same timeline? Are you you making separate phone calls to do so? What does that look like? Yeah, I I actually reached out to one of my favorite coordinators not too long ago. And I was like, so you know, I make timelines. Like, do you hate that? Or do you love that? And she was like, No, I actually love that. Because what I'll end up doing is at the initial consult, even when they get off the phone with me, they'll have my recommendations for, you know, here's how many hours of coverage I think you might need, you know, if you do things this way. And, you know, here's roughly when things are going to happen. Once it gets into the reception, I have no idea how they want to do, you know, the rough kind of sketch with everything in what order. But I, I have like a rough outline of everything. And I'll usually communicate that with the coordinator when things get a little bit closer and just say like, hey, like, here's what we came up with. I know things might have changed, but then it, it helps them with everything, too. And I'm really close with a, a few coordinators, so they'll send me stuff really early, too, and kind of have me look over it and approve it before they kind of send it out, you know, in, in mass email to, to all the vendors involved. So that's been really, really great, too. I've been really thankful for that because they all understand that, you know, I, I might need a little bit of time to get things done or they know I'm going to get sunset photos. So they'll try and structure that in and different things, too. So it's been really helpful. And do you use a particular tool in order to collaborate with the bride and groom and or the coordinator on the timeline or just are you using like a Word doc or or something comparable? What does that look like? I when I talk to him on the phone, I just have like a, a sheet that I print out. It's just a really basic thing. And I'll just circle different things and make a bunch of notes. And then I usually just type it up in an email. Um, I can save notes in Dubsado too. So I'll usually, once I type it up, I'll copy it, I'll post it in Dubsado in their client file. And then I can reference it that way too. And I can make any tweaks that we need for everything too. So yeah, so it basically just lives in Dubsado and in my email. Okay. So then any kind of updates that need to be made just have to be manually made by yourself once you hear from the coordinator, once you hear from the bride? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I know that there are a couple of companies out there that have created kind of timeline management systems. They're not very mainstream at this point. I'm, I'm so surprised in 2018 that we don't have better tools that, that enable that kind of collaboration. It seems like a wonderful business opportunity. But, yeah. I, I, but I, I do love the fact that you are putting so much emphasis on the experience associated with proactively managing a timeline. Because at the end of the day, first of all, we want to give our clients great photographs. And in order to do so, we have to have the space in that that wedding day timeline in order to do so. 
we have to communicate proactively. And, and I love that you put an emphasis on that. But again, that communication, as we said earlier in the episode, is so, so important too for the sake of the relationship. And that, that the photograph, it's going to affect the photographs, but it's ultimately going to affect their interaction and their total experience with you. And uh, so I love that you're putting this emphasis on it. Yeah, absolutely. The The way that I see it is I, I want them to trust me. I want them to come to me as the expert. And as the expert, I'm going to be able to tell you, you know, sunsets at this time. If, if we hop out and we grab some photos around that time, you're going to have beautiful light. It's going to be amazing. So I feel like it's totally like I, I've done this before. You know, most of most of my couples haven't been married before. And I just I think that it's great that they can look to me for all of this advice on on when things make sense, how long things take, because they're just thinking, you know, oh, it's going to take a little bit of time to get this done. And they're not realizing that, you know, if you're if you're doing a bubble exit and you have to get everybody lined up, that might take a little bit of time or, you know, the receiving line. People don't think about different things like that. So I, I like to be there for them just as a, as a knowledge based thing so that they can, they can have that knowledge when they, when they go forward, whether they book me or not. Um, like I said, I do a lot of that at the consult. So. Well, so much of what we do as, as I said earlier, is nothing to do with the photographs. And, um, and I don't think we can emphasize this point enough, especially in 2018 when, so many people can take a decent picture, even with their phones. I know. And yes. <laughs> so what we have to do to set ourselves apart as photographers goes way beyond the photography and being open to even playing this kind of coordinator role if we need to, or at least supplementing what the existing coordinator is doing uh, through clear, concise and proactive communication is so important. And I, and I really appreciate you sharing, making time to share with the Boca podcast today, your experience in this. Where can our listeners, I know we mentioned briefly earlier, but will you, will you let us know again where our, our listeners can find you online and where they can follow you on social media? Sure. Yeah. Online, I'm at luckybirdphoto.com and on social media, if you, it's luckybirdphoto on Instagram and yeah, you can look up Lucky Bird Photography on uh, Facebook and yeah, I'm everywhere on there. Perfect. We'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. Again, Boca Podcast, B-O-K-E-H, podcast.com. But Lindsay, thank you once again for making time for the Boca Podcast listeners. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca Podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. <laughs>